where I interview comedians and creatives about their favourite documentary. My name is Jane Edwards and I'm a writer, comedian and actor who just happens to love documentaries. So I was really thrilled to find so many other people who love them too. This episode, I spoke to Jos Norris about How To with John Wilson. This 2020 docuseries by John Wilson and Nathan Fielder takes us through quandaries such as how to split a bill fairly by using footage cut from continuous filming. You really just have to watch it yourself, it's very hard to describe. Jos Norris is a writer, actor and stand-up comedian best known for his unique brand of absurdist and conceptual theatre making. Jos has done so much in his astonishingly creative career, including recently making a radio series, The Dream Factory, for BBC Sounds, which I urge you all to check out. Also, Jos Norris is the only comedian I've ever seen that actually keeps their website up to date, so kudos to Jos. So this episode, I'm talking to Jos Norris about the docuseries How To with John Wilson. Jos, why did you choose this film? Uh, I chose, I thought you crushed that intro as well. Thank you so much. You said you were going to mess it up, but I thought it was so good. (laughs) It always goes wrong. I nailed that. Yeah, really nice. (laughs) Um, I chose this because I I watched this quite recently. I think I'd just finished watching it when you started making this podcast. So I Mm. thought, oh, I'd love to come on and talk about it because the timings felt really good. But it had been recommended for ages. People kept saying, you've got to watch this show. And I don't know why it took me a while to get round to it. I think because... When I asked people what it was, they sort of said, oh, it's it's a guy who kind of, he just goes out, he lives in New York and he films stuff. Mm. Like, it's quite hard to describe. And there was nothing about that that sounded essential to me. Um, mm. So it took a while for me to get around to it. And then I found it so brilliant that I thought I've got to, there might be other people out there like me who, who think, oh, yeah, that sounds okay, but hard to hard to find the time to bother with a thing that's just a guy filming stuff. Mm. So I thought I'd come on here and fly the flag for it as as strongly as I can because I think it's such a so it's it's a comedy series it was sort of billed to me as as a really brilliant comedy you've got to watch it uh Mm. and it is that but it's also an amazing like piece of human interest uh documentary I think Mm. because it is it is literally about this guy John Wilson who it seems like he's been filming everything for years I think and not necessarily for this show I think that's just how he's navigated the world forever as he does it through a camera and he documents everything mm. and then in every episode he, he sort of he, he sifts through everything that he's got and then edit it, edits it into a narrative that's about how to do a specific thing he'll start with a really kind of prosaic starting point like uh, how to make small talk or how to split the bill in a restaurant and then he'll see which of his bits of footage kind of tell a story about those subjects and then he'll go out there and just talk to people and I think it's a, the whole show is a really great testament to this idea of like, if you go into the world with a bit of curiosity and and investigate the most basic thing, then the end results of where you get to are so unexpected and so weird. Like everybody's so odd under the surface. I think it's a really yeah. great celebration of that. Oh, definitely. Like I, I was 
I, this is cliche. I say this all the time, but I literally mean this for the first time, fully yeah. with my heart. I was blown away by this. I've never seen Isn't anything it like it. It was brilliant. It was. I've just like watched another episode again. Yeah, which and, one? Um, it's the referee one. <laughs> I love that one. That's my favorite. That one is so incredibly good. It's just the way that because when I was watching it, it was that it was the feeling of like. I know that it's written and I know that yeah. so much of it will be planned and I can see how they work backwards from yeah. the the event and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, it kind of makes me believe in like fate and magic and yeah. like all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. I don't know what it is about it. It's just like the happenings. He must film all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a team of editors involved who end up sort of co-writing it i think there is like a bit of a writing team on it because i think you have to i think like you say it's it is very easy because i I lose track of how much of it is orchestrated and how much of it isn't because essentially the way it's presented to you is you're made to believe that everything he discovers is as a direct result of the question he sets out to answer at the beginning whereas it's it's more likely that he probably goes on these weird adventures has these weird conversations goes down these rabbit holes and then looks at everything he got, he's he's left with, and then goes, "Can I jumble these together into a theme?" I think it's more likely mm. that. But I think everyone he talks to is real. I don't think there's any kind of uh, orchestrated elements to the interactions or the scenes. I don't think. Mm. Um, but you really do go along with that magic of it. I think. And the referee one for the, anybody for people who've not seen it, the the referees is sort of the end point of an episode that's about. Uh, it's the one about splitting the check and he becomes obsessed with the idea of how do you split a check fairly <laughs> and tries to investigate all the different ways in which you might be able to do it and then ends up going to a conference of referees because he thinks they'll be the fairest people in <laughs> New York State and it's chaos. The way they split the bill is absolute mayhem. Um, and I have no idea what came first out of that, but he must just it must just be his life, I think. Definitely, it's because there's a clip in that where he's bumps. He's in this referee store and he asks um, a guy who goes in there, "Are you a referee?" And they start to talk about the dinner, and you can hear in his voice, "This is the thing we're picking what what must be orchestrated and what must be real." But you can hear yeah. in his voice, he's really the, like the cogs turning, that he's really discovered something. Yeah, you know, I thought that was just so. That's yeah, when it's lovely I st- to see him yeah. land on those things. <laughs> this is it, where it's like you feel like you're part of that moment of going like, "What you 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 have a dinner of referees?" Yeah. I thought and that every was, single yeah. episode has something like that. Like he always ends up; they all kind of lead him to like a secret society almost. Like nearly yeah. every single one, he kind of uncovers something that you're like, "How how has he managed to find these people?" Like the weirdest. <laughs> And most open people as well. Like everyone's so willing to let him in and show him these mad parts of their life. Mm. And I think he must just come across as the most kind of like open, non-judgmental person that makes people go, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show this to this guy." Yes. Because there's that other one about the Mandela effect. Uh, mm. You remember that one where it turns out that he goes down the rabbit hole of a secret society that think that the fact that the Mandela effect exists means we live in a parallel universe. That was just brilliant. That one was amazing. Yeah. 
I think as well when there's a woman in, in they have like a conference, don't they? Yeah. Of all these people. Do you know what? I This is a bit of a stupid point, but I've always called it the mandala effect and I didn't make oh, the yeah. connection between <laughs> this mandala. <laughs> so for that one, I was like Googling, like, what is this thing? Um, That's probably a mandala effect uh, in honestly, itself. The yes. people who remember it being called a mandala effect. <laughs> I could have sworn the mandala effect was called the mandala effect. <laughs> I need to get with these people. Yeah, you do. Don't do a talk. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, there's a, a lady there who believes that she's insistent that the internet is run by crystals. Oh, yeah. I thought that was just in a, such an amazing moment, honestly. And it's yeah. such a leap. It's all these people, like, it's all stuff that you can kind of relate to. Because we have all done that thing of, like, oh, I thought that that brand looked different to what it is. Yeah, and yeah. then you just deal with the fact that it's not, and yet there's this community of people who go, "No, that means something. That means something's been taken from me, or robbed from me, <laughs> and I need to make sense of it. It must be that there's an alien. Honestly. It can't be that just you know life is confusing, and sometimes you remember things wrong." It... <laughs> yes, it's great. there's those scenes of like all of them in the conference hall, and they go like, "Who remembers Febreze spelt with two e?" And then everyone's like, "Yeah, two e's, two e's," <laughs> and they go. This is you are being lied to about this. <laughs> that was so. That was just brilliant. Yeah, I yeah. I think there's um, in terms of I think the most I'm, I'm going to bring it up. There's like yeah. quite a. It's not a shocking one, but it's like absolute gold. Um, in my opinion, the foreskin. Uh, oh episode. my god i could yeah. not believe i was like gasping like i could remember that as an image and i cannot i cannot remember how that comes up at all i can't remember what that's relevant to which episode is that i cannot re- i can't remember either maybe this is like some sort of weird brain thing as well yeah. like i can't remember i remember he he bumps into someone in new york city yeah. who was doing like a, a force you know anti-circumcision yeah. Uh, protest or like yeah. talks, and he's got leaflets, and... and he's trying to grow his foreskin. Right, that's, <laughs> that's his story. Yeah. And then he invites John Wilson round, yeah. and he ties it. What is it? So he's he has a weight dangling from it all the time. Yeah, down his trouser leg, that kind of dangles to his knee, and that's that's just there constantly. Yeah. But then he also shows that he he will tie that weight to a to his bed frame on elastic mm. and then lie there kind of starfishing so that the the elastic is is yanking his foreskin up yeah he'll he'll just do that i don't know 10 minutes a day or something like yoga but um, i can't remember why <laughs> i can't remember honestly i just yeah it really is i just um sorry i'm just gonna cough so no cough away bless you excuse me um I'll cut that out, probably. <laughs> no, I liked that. I thought that was a good bit. <laughs> um, I but think... also, the idea of sharing that is... The, the idea of sharing it full stop and saying, yeah, I tie a weight to my foreskin every day and then stretch off the back of my bed. But yeah. even saying that is a lot to give to a stranger. But then to go, do you want to come to my house and film me doing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really... Um, I've just never seen anything like it you know like yeah we think i think that the pinnacle of this sort of going into people's lives has always been louis theroux yeah it's like this takes it one step further yeah there's more of a kind of 
absurdist lens to this, I think. Mm. In that, like, I guess Louis Theroux was always kind of... They were very weird lives that he was peeking into, but he always yeah. just kind of stood there non-judgmentally and it was just kind of, I'm yeah. I'm showing you this stuff. And with John Wilson, it really feels like I'm I'm going on an adventure with this. Like, I want to get to a place that I can't predict. Mm. Whereas Louis Theroux is more kind of like, what we get is what we get. Definitely. What what do you already know about John Wilson, the guy? Not a huge amount, to be honest. And mm. I've not read up on him. Lo- I know that it's produced by Nathan Fielder. So mm. it's part of of that kind of uh, bit of the American comedy world. Mm. Um, I think that there's... In, I think in series two, he talks a bit more about his background. Uh, and there's an amazing episode where it turns out that he filmed, like, uh, QVC-style um, shopping channel stuff for years and years. Mm. Uh, so I think his background was just as a filmmaker. Um, and I don't actually know how he got his way into kind of writing stuff himself. I guess he's he's very clearly a really interesting guy. You mm. can tell from the stuff that he gets out of people that the way he relates to them must be very unusual and that he's able to kind of excavate stories that are really strange. So it might well be that maybe he worked with people like Nathan Fielder just as a camera person or an editor or whatever and somewhere along the line they said you're funny you should do something yourself but I don't know much about him actually I this is the first time I've ever like looked into something before oh yeah an episode so I've read this is literally just Wikipedia I've not done any sort of real digging um that he actually used to apparently allegedly work for a private investigator oh wow and you can see it yeah that makes a lot of sense so I thought that was really, really interesting, and obviously got into film, was making films and yeah. the whole time. The reason I'm like allegedly is because when looking at the page, um, there's a line that says shortly after graduate uh, Wikipedia page. There's a yeah. line that says shortly after graduating from high school, Wilson. Uh, uh, completed a feature film called Jingleberry. Wilson added oh, the yeah. reference. Wilson added the reference to Jingleberry to his own Wikipedia page in season two, episode four of How to with John Wilson. And I was like, oh, is he? He must have written the Wikipedia page. So that's a that's an episode where I can't, I'm trying to remember which. So hang on, which one's episode four? Episode four is about. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's about how to throw out your batteries. So he starts by just investigating, like, that, the fact that we all have batteries lying around, but we don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And then off the back of that kind of goes down a tangent of, like, throwing away old stuff. And he talks about this film, Jingleberry, being, like, the crowning humiliation of his life. He said he spent a lot of money of it on it as a student. It was something to do with Christmas. Uh, and then he screened it in front of the entire high school and then was selling DVDs at the end. Apparently nobody bought one and nobody would look him in the eye (laughs) afterwards because it was so bad. And there's a bit in the episode where he tries to watch it and he can only watch about three seconds before turning it off and throwing it across the room. Oh, my Uh, God. And then eventually by the end of the episode, he realises that he has to make peace with the fact that we've all all got horrible shit that we don't want to... We don't want other Mm. people to see. And he realises he needs to own it. So he puts it on his Wikipedia page so that everyone knows he did it. And then he locks the only DVD copy of it in a safe and leaves the safe on the street so that somebody might find it and take it away and watch it. Uh, and beyond that, I have no idea what happened to it. I don't know if anybody found the safe and unlocked it. But wow. that's that's that one. But they're amazing, these kind of like starting from something so small and then making such a kind of 
beautiful human point by the end of it. I think it's really mm. impressive. But yeah, that does mean the private investigator thing is a bit like, well, did you? <laughs> <laughs> this or, is it. It's yeah. just one of those guys like where you're like, I don't know if anything is... And I, just because I've always been around guys like that as well, like comedians where it's like, what's true, what isn't? Yeah. So I'm just putting out there, it might not be. Yeah. I don't it's a nice pulled. story though. It's, it's a really good story and it completely... It makes, it makes sense. sense. <laughs> um, this is like, it's quite a big question and you can yeah. just tell me to Ignore shut it. up if you want. Yeah, you can <laughs> just go sure, silent. No, no, <laughs> you just leave cool. the call. Um, <laughs> but I was wondering like what this, uh, it might be, t- it might just be too big a question. No, but like, no. what does this mean for documentaries? Mm. Because it's like nothing else that I've seen there's like the humor in it, the way that it's filmed. It's so personal. I don't really know what I'm asking with it, basically, but it seems like a game changer. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it, it reminded me a bit of um, David Sedaris. You know his yes. his writings. That yeah, thing of just because everything that he does. Did you did you know it was Sedaris? I've only just found this out. I've been saying Sedaris for years. I've always said Sedaris. Yeah, I think. Apparently it's Sedaris and he gets really cross. So I'm trying to force myself oh, now. Uh, but I, I really thought it was Sedaris. Um, mm. But he, everything he writes, I think, comes from that same place of, like, ask somebody an interesting question. Like, always go out there. He says whenever he gets a taxi, he never asks, like, how's business been today or whatever. He tries to be like, what was your last haircut like? Or something that's going to oh. open up something unusual. Mm. And I think John Wilson comes from the same impulse really but I don't know how his conversations start because all you really see is what comes out of them but certainly it seems to be the same sort of thing it also I guess it kind of reminds me of um you know the the Bross documentary yes which was incredible Mm. and I really got the sense with that that like the filmmakers realized what they were making halfway through and and it wasn't what they planned because that that's a comedy documentary, the Bross documentary, but presumably wasn't supposed to be one. Like, presumably they filmed it as like a, this is a comeback documentary about Bross, but they're so ridiculous that bits of it feel like they're almost orchestrated as comedy skits, I thought. And I was like, how much does the filmmaker know that he's making a comedy? Or how much of this is just us laughing at it because they're stupid? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it kind of made me think about that, of like the idea of setting out on the journey of making a documentary and not actually knowing what it's going to be. Definitely. Which must be the position he's in. He must go out with the camera and just be like, well, I'm going to film stuff and then eventually I will make something out of it. And there's no subject really until presumably he gets home and then looks at it and goes, right, what was the subject? And that feels like a bit of a game changer. Definitely. I think like how... Well, it's all it's orchestrated, and presumably he's sort of got that kind of performer character yeah. thing going. Because obviously that's probably not it's not completely him. Yeah, it's interesting to see like a, the actual filmmaker themselves be so yeah. personal. Yeah, and be so present in it. Yeah, because yeah. there's a, I think is it in series one? There's an episode where you see his friends. He's having dinner with his friends, and they, yeah. or maybe not dinner. Maybe he's talking to a friend, and she says the camera seems to have given you a way to connect with people that's really great but also sometimes it makes us hard it makes it hard for us to connect to you yeah so yeah. that feels quite true that moment Definitely. again it could be completely scripted i don't know 
But um, mm. yeah, you do sort of lose track of how much of this is is literally just you being yourself and how much of it is a kind of a construction that you've made to create a good end product. Yeah, I just really, you feel like you know him. I mean, it is it, it must be a character. <laughs> yeah. Surely. <laughs> That's what I'm like wrestling know, with watching it. I just, I'm like... Surely, because he also he shows you. There's a bit where he shows you his notebooks, and they go back years and years. Yes. And in in them, he's drawn like a little grid for every day of his life, and in each one, he's written basically what he did that day. So yeah. either he sat and wrote those notebooks out as a prop for the thing, or yeah. he has done that. And I think like the obsessiveness of him is 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 real. Totally. The kind of obsessional like I have to document all this. Yeah. The way he comes across in conversation, I, I don't know. I don't know how affected mm. that is. But it's very weird to kind of, to not even know these basics while you're watching it of like, who is this narrator? Is he real? Do we <laughs> <Yes>. trust him? <laughs> but he's he also just really sweet. Yeah. He's really lovely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because in another episode, we were talking about Adam Curtis. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, with John Tucker. And um, we were wondering, like, about editing mm. and I think it did stress me out a little bit watching this docuseries I'm sorry if I've called it a film a couple of times already oh yeah watching this docuseries no because like what do you think that the editing is like do you oh. think that he just films absolutely everything and then has like a catalogue or I mean we're just speculating but it must be hell because there's certain like some of a lot of the comedy of it comes from those things of like how a a moment is repurposed like Mm. there's I think there's one of my favourite bits in it I think is in the episode about splitting the bill Mm. is it the bit where he's talking about like maybe you're the kind of person who um you would really like to only pay for the things you uh, you ate but you Mm. feel like compelled that you have to pay for everyone else so you always join in, but you feel more and more resentful as you get older that you always do this and you're subsidising everyone else. And while he's mm. narrating that, there's just a shot of a man crossing a road in New York with this like incredible grimace, which mm. all that he will have filmed is gone like, oh, there's a guy over there with a, with a funny grimace expression. I'll quickly film him. And then he ties yeah. that into this narrative of like a specific guy who spent his whole life paying for everyone else and is so annoyed about like the way he's able to project his story onto just random footage of, of strangers Mm. is amazing i think and yeah you wonder whether he would have got home that day and saved that under like grimacing man saved (laughs) another thing under like i don't know awkward couple and then file them away for like at some point i'm gonna need a grimacing man at some point i'm gonna need an awkward couple but yeah he can't know what he's looking for i don't think he must just be like oh that's i like that yeah yeah, it reminded me of um, Bill Cunningham. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I need to watch... There's a DVD over there of a Bill Cunningham documentary, which I, I thought looked boring, so I, I didn't watch it. My girlfriend watched it with her friend, and she said, do you want to watch this Bill Cunningham documentary? I said, nah, it's all like photography and stuff. I don't like photography. Uh, and then apparently it's brilliant. I was told it was really great. It's brilliant. And, yeah, people keep telling it. me, so... I'll make some time. I feel terrible about it. I don't know why I was so grumpy that day. <laughs> well, he wears a blue jacket, right? He wears a blue jacket. Yeah. Um, and he he basically, he'll go out with his camera and yeah. will just start looking and he'll take a picture maybe of like, this is how he describes it, of like a, a green dress. 
And then maybe he sees, you know, someone else in a green top. Mm -hmm. And he'll, I mean, that's a basic um, example, but he'll start to see the patterns as they appear to him. Okay. And it just reminds me of that kind of process of like. That sounds really good. It honestly does. That sounds like my dream film. (laughs) Why did I say no? I just, I thought he was like a, I I didn't know who he was. (laughs) I thought it was going to be like catwalks, like fashion photography, and I'm not very into fashion. Yeah. So I thought, nah. No, because he's not either. Right. So it's it's great. He's like it's a street really photographer. Good. Yeah, yeah. It's really it's so okay. exciting. Um, I think as well, it's that f- I when watching it, I was like, could this be filmed in London? Could it be filmed in Manchester? I yeah. Don't, I don't know if it could. Yeah, New York. It feels. New York is sort of like a character in the film. I love it when people say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, it's, tr- it's true, though. It's yeah, true. yeah. The quality of stuff would be different, I think. I don't know what you'd get in London. Mm. I think people are more... Um, maybe they're in more of a rush here. New York feels much more kind of like, mm. hey, whatever. <laughs> yes. I've, I've never been. <laughs> I don't I've, know what it's like over there. I've been once for a bit... Oh, and yeah. it does have, it has a vibe of, like, everyone just sort of lives outside a lot more. Right, yeah. Especially, like, Times Square. I mean, yeah. obviously, there. I mean, literally, like, there are people who do live outside. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but it does have that feel of, like, everyone is just walking around all the time. Right. Um, I don't know, yeah, whether it's, like, a different, it's strange how different cities just have different feels to them like that. Yeah. But, um. For me, yeah, I just thought, I think, do you think that in, like, in a British city, people would be more on guard as well, like, if someone has a camera? I think so, yeah, because that's another thing I was wondering about. It was, like, release forms, because yes. a lot of the stuff he gets, like, he, I think he almost never blurs faces. No. And I think that's because on the street, I think you're allowed to film anything you want on the street. I um, see. I don't really understand, I don't know what the law is on it, but... But I don't think he's going around getting release forms from all these people. He's just filming what is out there in the world. Yeah. Uh, but also, maybe in America, people are just more open to the idea of, oh, there's a guy with a camera over there, whatever, fine. Yeah. And here, maybe people would be much more like, excuse me, <laughs> what are you filming? <laughs> you need Honestly. a whole folder on your computer of people saying, excuse me. <laughs> Honestly, I thought, yeah, that was just, it really jumped out to me when... There's a point in a restaurant where he just is filming a little boy looking at him. Oh yeah. And I thought, oh my god, like how could you do how could you get away with that? Yeah, it people... feels like people would be more <laughs> be more touchy about that, yeah. Yeah. I got in trouble for taking a picture of a lady's dog at the weekend. Really? What did she say? Well, I didn't get in trouble. I was trying to get it to, to look up. So I I went right. I did that noise. I did the like <laughs> You know that kind of noise? Yes. To get it to look. And then its owner was really shocked. I was like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you blowing kisses at my dog? Oh, and what? I explained. It, it looked like uh, my girlfriend's brother's old dog. So I was going to take a picture and go, hey, this looks like your dog. Um, I had to explain all this. Oh, I and would never say that. What? Why are you blowing kisses at my dog? Yeah, I'd be like, of course you should blow kisses at my dog. Yeah. That's What's weird. your dog? Um, She's like... A terrier-ish nice. thing. We don't know, really. <laughs> she's mostly terrier. <laughs> yeah, she's just like a mishmash of all sorts. So. Nice. But yeah. Oh, Sounds that's... like she deserves kisses. <laughs> Let the people kiss. 
Um, but yeah, I think people are a bit more on edge about being mm-hmm. filmed or photographed here. Yeah, As is their right. But you do wonder if it would make it harder to, to make something like this. And I, I keep seeing more and more... Because I, I watch documentaries like this and I'm always like, I should just get a camera. I should yeah. just start doing stuff. I think that's like the kind of effect it has on like a lot Yeah, of... it made me really want to <laughs> just copy it. Yeah. This is... <laughs> and I kept trying to convince myself that, no, I was coming up with like other ways of doing a different thing that was sort of inspired by and in the spirit of, but it would be different. Honestly, it'll have but a different But then when I was thinking about it, I was like, no, I just want to copy it. Yeah. Honestly, I think me and me and Barnaby watched it, and we were having yeah. exactly the same yeah. thought processes. Um, I, but I think that was just yeah. I thought God, I just in Manchester, I just don't think you could yeah. do it. I mean, people, I, I you see more and more articles these days as well saying like people's right to privacy and yeah things like this. So. And I think also the attitude would change. It's not just like whether or not people would even let you film. It's mm. it's what they would give you. Because there's the amazing... You know the one where he learns to make risotto? Yes. Um, which actually makes me cry, that episode, because it's about him trying to <gasps> do something lovely for his landlady because yeah. she's always... He's got this mad landlady who's always making him... She does all his laundry, won't let him do his own laundry, always cooks him dinner every night. Uh, and he realises like he's got to do something for her, so he tries to learn how to make the perfect risotto. And his is terrible. He just can't make a good risotto. Uh, yeah. And then one day he he decides to go up to the first Italian-looking house. Like He sees a house with an Italian flag and walks up to it and goes, can you make risotto? And the guy's like, yeah, come on in, and brings him into his house. And starts shouting to his wife and is like, get me the good arborio rice and get me the good tomatoes and all this stuff. And yeah. I just I just don't know if you'd get that same kind of wide-armed welcome in Britain of like, yeah, of no. course, I'll make one for you right now. Like the idea that nobody's doing anything. Everyone's like, yeah, come in. Exactly. Yeah, I think, yeah, that really, um, it feels as well in those moments it feels like he's like bending reality to his will. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a lot of moments. Yeah, it feels quite surreal because that guy also then, the same guy who shows him how to make the risotto, it turns out believes in ancient aliens, doesn't he? Oh, that was he it, shows yes. him like some of his artwork and he's like, yeah, this was painted by ancient aliens. Oh my god! You're like, how is the first house you came to, <laughs> the house that has a guy that will teach you to make the perfect risotto, and he believes in aliens? <laughs> Which again makes you wonder like how much of this is real, how much is fake, I don't know. Exactly. I, I like to think it's all real. Me too. But maybe he's written it all. <laughs> um, I don't think I've got any, I think we've answered all of my questions. So have you got anything you would like to add? Um, the only other thing I'd like to add, I think, is that same episode about the risotto mm. also has, I think, one of my favourite just bits of nonsense uh, that I've ever seen in anything because this is the other thing is like a lot of it is is just he captures these amazing moments then edits them together but there are also mm. bits in it where you just think that's a fantastic idea which is where he goes skiing uh, and notices that the packets of crisps in the shops are really inflated and somebody tells him that's because of the altitude they're a bit more inflated so he then uh, goes up in a helicopter <laughs> and tries to fly up to the top of a mountain to see if the crisps will burst <laughs> which is it just really got me that. I thought it was one of my favourite things I've ever seen. That was just brilliant. And do you know what's funny? Like, when we've been talking about it, there's so much in this series that I have forgotten. Yeah, Even, it's like, really massive dense. moments like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, yeah, it's it's really, really something else. Thank you so much for bringing 
No pleasure. Thank you so much for, for talking to me about it. Thanks, Jazz. A huge thank you to Jazz for giving your time and your wonderful insights to this podcast. Make sure you check out everything that Jazz is doing. I can't even keep up, man. Like, follow Jazz on Twitter. <laughs> He's always up to something. Uh, follow his website, which is very up to date. Um, and just keep abreast of everything Jazz is doing. It's always interesting. It's always exciting. It's always innov- innovative. As always, I'll put links in the show notes. And now comes time for me to ask for your kindness and support. If you could like and subscribe or whatever kind of terminology they are using on the platform that you're listening on, that would be very much appreciated. We've got lots of exciting episodes coming up. So I would really appreciate you staying in touch. And if you've enjoyed this, share it on your socials. Do we still use the word socials? I don't know. But I would really, really appreciate you spreading the word if you feel like it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I hope you have a wonderful day.